0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the 21 and Sensory podcast with me, Emily. On today's show, I have the lovely Alice. Alice is 25, autistic, and studying speech and language therapy at university. So, I've known Alice for quite a while now. We both knew each other growing up, and we were both late diagnosed as autistic. So, this should be an interesting chat because we grew up not knowing each other as autistic. And now we both know each other as autistic. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it will definitely be an interesting one. So yeah, did you want to say hello, Alice? Hi! (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for coming on. Um, So yeah, like I said, we both didn't know these things about ourselves. And obviously your diagnosis um, has been kind of more recent, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, But I think let's start with your work and how you started your career, um after your first uni course and you can kind of explain the process um the job roles and work experience you've
1: had and also
0: the current course that you're on
1: yeah um so I guess going back a little bit um I became really interested in autism probably about the age of of 13 um it became quite a special interest I was reading um lots about it and watching kind of videos and documentaries um But I think autism is an interesting one because, I mean, relatively speaking, it wasn't that long ago that I was 13. Um, But we've come so far in our um, understanding and the way it's talked about. The way that autism was presented was was very restricted compared to now. And I definitely didn't see myself in it when I was reading about autism initially. Um, And so then when I was 16, I started working at a play scheme for disabled children which I loved I learned so much it really really set me up for what I do now it gave me a lot of confidence in working with people with a whole range of different needs Mm -hmm. um but yeah I guess um I hadn't given a lot of thought into um into how it influenced my kind of understanding of autism until you mentioned it in your email (laughs) um yeah I, I think you know the the play scheme was for children with any disability, not just for autistic children, but there were lots of them who were autistic. And unlike a school where you're seeing the same children day in and day out, um, this play scheme catered for lots of different kids. And so you were meeting a, a massive range of people. And I think within the first few months working there, really, I realized that the autism spectrum was much more varied than I'd understood it to be. And I mean, that's not even including those who aren't diagnosed as children. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think I came into that job feeling, you know, that having dived into the topic so much academically, that I knew quite a lot about autism, almost seeing myself as a bit of an expert. And I very quickly realized that that wasn't really the case. And it was much more worth my time getting to know the kids and learning from them all. And that they were all so different, which of course... They would be, but when you've been mm-hmm. reading things that say, you know, children with autism do this and children with autism can't do that. Um, you can have quite a set idea. And these kids were all so different in their personalities and also in just like their profiles of how their autism presents. Mm-hmm. So I think that definitely taught me a lot in that sense too. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that job. I've continued that um in the holidays, even once I'd gone to uni and I think I worked there for seven years in the end.
0: Oh, wow. I didn't realise it was that long. Yeah. I, it was a,
1: I knew it was a while. I mean, but... part time, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, a, a good seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for yeah, for for a long time, my, my aim was to become a music therapist. So I learned about music therapy um, kind of around the same time as I'd learned about autism. And it also became a special interest. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of decided pretty early on that that was what I wanted to do um, and the general pathway to become a music therapist is that you do generally an undergraduate in music and then you generally get a, um, a few years experience and then you go and you do a master's in music therapy and so that was the the, the path I started going down um, I, I did do an undergrad in music I chose a course with lots of flexibility so that I could take. Modules like music and health and music education and do different placements and stuff like that. Um, And then, yeah, my first job coming out of uni, my first full-time job was working in a school for children with severe learning disabilities and profound and multiple learning disabilities, which is SLD slash PMLD. And I was actually doing kind of cover work and, and music teaching. Um, unfortunately, as you probably remember, it, it wasn't really the role for me. And I didn't really know yet how to support myself in the workplace, I guess I didn't really know what my strengths and limitations were or what I needed. Um, I did love working with the kids, but I also really struggled with the job. And um, and I actually only worked there for about six months because then COVID hit and we went into lockdown and that was when I ended up working one-to-one with um, a boy at his home and I spent most of that first lockdown period with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the following academic year, I got a job working in an autism specialist school. So a lot of the kids there are kids who started out in mainstream and you know really struggled because the school system is not... Set up for neurodivergent children. Mm-hmm. Um, I I took a step back uh, at that school for kind of for my welfare, and so didn't do music. Worked as a classroom assistant instead, so that I had the evenings free to decompress and regulate, rather than having to do more work outside of work in terms of planning, lesson planning, and stuff. Um, and actually, I think that job really restored my confidence, because without um, blowing my own trumpet, is that the saying? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think so, yeah. I did, You know, I did do the job quite well, and I was kind of praised and trusted and respected by my colleagues and the leadership, and so that was really positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think it was kind of over those two years, I became more interested in speech and language stuff um especially AAC so for anyone who doesn't know AAC is augmentative and alternative communication um and it's basically any different way of communicating other than speaking so it could be Makaton it could be a communication device uh or a book or things like that mm-hmm. um and i yeah i became more interested in that side of things and honestly fell out out of love slightly with music therapy. Um, I absolutely still think it's amazing and would definitely recommend it, but just it wasn't the right move for me for lots of different reasons, um, which I guess was quite strange because it had been such a massive special interest for like 10 years. And also that kind of black and white thinking, I guess, in deciding at 13, like, this is what I'm going to do and sticking with yeah. that. And actually, it's probably far more common that people don't still want to do the same thing at 23 as they did at 13. Mm-hmm. But that was quite a big shift for me. But at the same time, it was nice that I had found something that I did want to do instead. Um but yeah, so I stayed at that um, autism specialist school for nearly a year and then I moved again. So I literally did three schools in three years, um, <laughs> but I moved past partly for logistical uh, reasons in that the, the third school was much closer than the second school had been um, travel wise. Um, but also I wanted to get a bit more experience in that SLD, PMLD area. I felt that I hadn't really been able to do that in that first job because i been so overwhelmed and had so much to focus on so much to do um and so even though i did love my second school i moved to a third school um again as a classroom assistant um and yeah in a school for children with severe or profound and multiple learning disabilities um and yeah i loved that too and during that year i applied for a master's in speech and language therapy and i got in um It's a two-year course and I have just finished my first year which feels absolutely crazy to say because I'm now like halfway through which is insane but um, I am really enjoying it and yeah really excited about what's to come.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow I mean you are only 25 and it was your birthday yesterday so happy birthday. Thanks. Um, (laughs) But you have already got like so much work experience and obviously like education to do with what you want to do in life um when do you think kind of throughout your career so far or even like studying when was there kind of was there an inkling that you might be autistic (laughs) I know obviously you it was a special interest for you before you potentially linked it to yourself because of your career and you know needing to understand it more um did it did it click at any point did someone say something at any point was there any kind of sort of process of becoming aware of it sort of thing
1: (laughs) yeah so I I don't think there was particularly a light bulb moment I think it was it was more of a a gradual process for me so I think as I say when I when I first became very interested in autism I, I wasn't seeing myself in it very much and I think um a part of that was the way that autism was presented then compared to now. I think it was a lot more restricted um, in the way it was talked about. And although I did have the odd moment of like, Oh, I do that. Or like, Oh, that sounds like me. um, Mm. I think relating to like one or two autistic traits doesn't necessarily make you autistic. Um, (laughs) And yeah I think I thought autism was this very specific set thing that I didn't really relate to and so yeah very much thought I was learning about autism as a non-autistic person um (laughs) I think another big part of that was that the um kind of leading voices at the time were generally like professionals and parents um so there probably were advocates out there but they weren't really what came up when you were looking for information and they weren't really prioritized. Yeah. Um, autism was quite heavily medicalized and pathologized and like it still sometimes is now but then I felt feel like that was kind of the only dialogue. Um, mm-hmm. Like don't get me wrong being autistic in a neurotypical world can be hard and lots of autistic people face a lot of difficulties but I don't think it's a terrible disease that needs curing. I don't think autistic people need correcting to become more neurotypical. And that was very Mm -hmm. much kind of the the message when I was first researching. Um, So, yeah, I think a a big part of, of gaining a better understanding was kind of split between meeting people at work, and then also hearing people sharing their experiences, I guess, mostly online. Mm -hmm. Um, I think another key part of it was changes in my own ability and capacity to mask and cope in those more difficult situations. And I think that kind of started happening, um, I guess, around sixth form. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think growing up I mean looking back there were definitely things that make more sense now with knowing that I'm autistic but I was never really identified as someone who was massively different to my peers maybe other than like the odd thing Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess a big factor in that was that I was heavily masking Um, I didn't know that I was doing that I kind of assumed it was what everyone did but I did I watched everyone around me closely and did what they did and I sometimes got that a bit wrong sometimes it felt like others had like met up beforehand and discussed what they were going to do and how they were going to act and it was like I missed that and was having to catch up Mm -hmm. um but most of the time it kind of seemed like I was fitting in enough um I think another factor was you know that for the most part I actually really thrived in the school environment, which I know is not common for (laughs) neurodivergent people. It's not particularly made for us, and looking back, there were definitely challenges, but I did thrive off that routine and predictability and very clear expectations. Um, I was quite academic. I mostly enjoyed learning, and yeah, just most of the time school felt kind of relatively safe. and I actually went to the sixth form attached to my school. So um, I stayed in the same place and was with a lot of the same people. Mm-hmm. And yet at some point during the sixth form, it was like something switched and I quite suddenly couldn't cope anymore. My anxiety got really bad. I was having a lot of panic attacks. I had lower capacity for social environments and like sensory stuff and just generally found things hard that I hadn't previously. And it was I guess it was kind of weird because it came out of a bit out of nowhere and no one really knew what had happened and I couldn't explain what had happened because I didn't really know why it happened. Um and I think everyone kind of assumed that it was the pressure of sixth form with like a higher workload and exams and, you know, applying for uni. And I am totally not claiming that that wasn't stressful, but I don't think that was the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And at times I think actually having so much work to do gave me something to focus on and gave me an end goal. Um, But yeah, I think kind of reflecting on it now, I think it was a bit like for, to use a very random analogy, it was like for a lot of my life, I'd been on a treadmill Mm -hmm. and At first that treadmill is quite slow and manageable and as you get older that speed increases. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess the treadmill is maybe being autistic in a neurotypical world, maybe also being undiagnosed and not knowing. Um, Mm -hmm. As you get older that can get more difficult, there are different expectations like changing social dynamics and new environments. And I think masking starts to take like more of a toll. Um, And it was like that treadmill was getting faster and faster. And at first that didn't matter too much because you're getting used to being on the treadmill and you're getting a bit stronger and a bit more confident. But ultimately, no matter how strong and confident you are on a treadmill, there comes a time when that speed is too high and you have been on it for too long and you get tired Mm -hmm. and it was like that was what happened to me um so I don't know like maybe it was kind of some of the small changes that came with sick form in terms of having um I guess like more free time and independent study and like there being a bit of a shift in social groups everyone kind of being a little bit older a bit a bit more grown up um or it might have just been that I was just tired from coping and masking and trying to fit in for a little bit too long and things just got too much um and just yeah to to go back to the treadmill analogy it was like I went flying off the back of the treadmill and crashing onto the ground and my response for a long time was to try and keep getting back on at that same speed you know Mm -hmm. trying a bit harder forcing that mask back on trying to go back to how things were and really kind of Berating myself when that didn't work, and I think what was really key for me was realizing that I needed to make changes to my life and make adjustments in order to slow it down. Um, and I think that that took a while for me to realize. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just to 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 go back to the question a little bit more, yeah, I think uni for the first time, the the uni I went to for my undergrad gave me a bit more of a chance to do that. I think partly uni is just a fresh start. You've got, you know, new people, new environments, new routines. Um, But also, and I don't know whether this is like a, a universal experience or whether it just happened to be the people that I was around, but I found that at uni people were more open and accepting. And that is Mm -hmm. not a dig at all at my school friends because they were great, but it was the whole culture of school is like everybody is the same. And if you are different in any way, that's seen as a bad thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, Whereas I felt like at uni, there was still an element of that, but there was more freedom to be a bit more yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I think for a long time, so many aspects of my identity and my life had been dictated by how I felt I should be based on perceptions by other people. No, sorry. Based on my perceptions of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, I think uni was the first time that I started actually properly considering like, what do I like? And what do I not like? And what am I interested in? Like, what do I find difficult and what helps me? And like who you are. Yes. Like just starting (laughs) to discover a lot more of like my sensory profile and special interests and, stims and how to just like regulate myself better day to day and and to make those changes and I think it was kind of as I made those changes and found the things that helped me it became a bit more like ah okay maybe I might be autistic because you (laughs) know it really helps me to have a routine like it really helps me to use sensory aids I'm actually realizing that a lot of the time it is too much noise going on that Is that means that I struggle with that place or whatever it is, you know, like Mm -hmm. just just kind of starting to come to realize. But I think it it was quite an up and down process, and I think probably quite a few people can relate to that. Like days of oh my gosh, I am so autistic, and then days of like oh no, I'm not autistic because I don't do X, Y, and Z, and like everything in between that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think. A really important thing for anyone who is considering whether they might be neurodivergent in some way is that you don't have to relate to everything every person of that, that neurotype says or does mm-hmm. um and so realizing that was quite important for me too because I spent a lot of the time questioning whether I could really be autistic when I didn't do certain things that other autistic people did said I don't know mm. if that makes any sense yeah no and that it
0: kind of you know things can fluctuate like you were saying like you might one day think like oh you know this was a good day like I didn't really feel yeah but then the imposter syndrome and stuff like that <laughs> so I do I do understand that, that yeah. make
1: sense. I think ultimately what made it a lot more certain for me was that first year working full-time and finding it so challenging mm-hmm. um, which I guess maybe is a positive thing that came out of a more tricky time um, it just became really like evident to me that I did need to make those changes and accommodations in order for things to work for me and that I did experience things differently and that I wasn't just making it up um, mm-hmm. and so yeah it was kind of in that in that first year working that I did decide on like asking to be referred for an assessment and that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, but then even that you know led to, a lot of looking back at previous experiences and like introspection, I think that's a word, like figuring (laughs) myself out um, as I was kind of collating information for, I guess, first for my referral and then later on for an autism assessment. Um, Mm -hmm. Like a history project on your Yes, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, kind (laughs) of, yeah, looking back at things in the new light and going, ah, yeah, that could be because of this. Um, mm-hmm. and I think at the same time, you know, over the last few years there's been more and more people sharing their experiences. Um, again, largely online. Um, okay. and so there were more things that I could relate to. Um yeah. yeah, so I think that was kind of the the gradual process of going from like, I am a non-autistic person reading about this thing called autism, to mm-hmm. being like, huh, yeah, I am. 100 percent autistic
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) I get that that is quite a leap but it sounds like and I know you've you've done your research and you've you've done that like background like trawling through stuff and like you said like when you first looked into it or when you first you know started kind of working that sort of like resource and information it just wasn't out there Um, or it was really like American or it was really toddler based which you know is fine but not great if you're like a teen or an adult looking for stuff um, on autism yeah um so let's discuss the process of getting diagnosed because I I know it and it it wasn't <laughs> it was um a lot I feel it was that's one way to put it <laughs> had to jump through a lot of hoops let's put it that way um so maybe yeah do you want to explain kind of you've explained the lead up really well so how was the actual process of getting referred
1: yeah I mean I think for a lot of people that first hurdle is the GP Mm -hmm. I was actually really lucky with my GP so he didn't put up much resistance to that I think part of that might have been that because we were in COVID times it was all on an online service which meant I could compose a nicely written message Mm. with a summary of like why I thought I was autistic and why I wanted um an assessment Mm -hmm. and then I also attached a document with more detail on that I don't know which bits he read whether he even opened that document but he said that he would refer me um but then yeah I was sent the AQ10 which is the autism quotient um the version with 10 questions and mm. they give like statements and then you have to put definitely agree slightly agree slightly disagree and definitely disagree
0: mm-hmm. um, i can remember one of the uh, questions
1: that you said was on <laughs> yeah um <laughs> i think i found that really hard and i i think i overthought quite a lot of it um mm-hmm. i don't even know actually what they use it for whether it is like a screening thing or whether they just look at it in your appointment when that comes around um yeah. but I just was very in my head of like oh my gosh that you know they're judging whether I'm autistic of these 10 questions I have to get them right otherwise they're going to you know say that I'm not or like not give me an assessment um mm-hmm. but then also wanted to be honest on them I didn't want to just put like what I thought would get yeah them to me put me the to recognize. the next stage yeah like a yeah, day yeah. I mean, yeah um so i think yeah i overthought that quite a lot i seem to remember i messaged you like what does this mean <laughs> like help me yeah um yeah so i did that and then the gp contacted me to say that he had referred me but i didn't get any kind of confirmation i didn't get i expected to get like a letter or something to say that i was on the waitlist and yeah, i didn't get anything like not even a text mm-hmm. message and so I actually, after a little while, emailed the assessment service myself and just asked for confirmation that I had definitely been referred and that I was on the waitlist. And they said mm-hmm. that I was. And so then I asked for a rough time frame, mm-hmm. and they said um, it will be around, likely be around eighteen months to two years, which, you know is a long time but it was kind of what I was expecting based on what I had heard other people had waited and And when was
0: this what year was
1: oh gosh 2020 yeah I want to say I Mm -hmm. might be wrong about that but I think it was 2020 Mm -hmm. um and yeah so I kind of waited that time frame that I'd expected and even that was quite agonizing of being like you know when's the appointment gonna come and Mm -hmm. then after that two years I asked for an update and they said in summary basically that the waiting list was long and that they had staff shortages and that it was likely to be around another four years which Jeez. on top of the two yeah, years would have made that a six-year wait in total oh. and at that point I very much reconsidered my options um, so there is a thing you can do on the NHS called right to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and if i'd known about that initially i would have i would have done that and that would have probably been a shorter wait but by this point the even the lists for that were still long and um, was longer than i would have wanted to wait having already waited the 2 years and um, so the
0: list for the service that that is recommended when the waiting list for the original service was also too long
1: yeah yeah, the right-to-choose lists Yeah, because, you know, there's only, I think, two right-to-choose providers who do autism assessments, whether, whereas there are more for ADHD assessments, I think.
0: Right. And okay.
1: so they're just, like, everywhere in, in demand. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I did start to consider private and was kind of looking into the options there. Um, and when I mentioned this to my parents... They then came to me and said that they would like to pay for me to have a private assessment, which I am so super grateful for. I know that that is not an option for so many people. And I was very, very lucky that that they offered that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um, my assessor was actually recommended to me um, on a Discord group run by uh, the YouTuber Purple Ella who I know you've had <laughs> on your podcast. Um, and yeah, that was really nice that I was able to choose a company who were very informed about neurodivergence and late diagnosis. And like I knew I wasn't going to be faced with some, you know, professor with very outdated views or anything like that because yeah. I heard the horror stories from other people. Um, yeah, so then... Um, I had a little bit of a wait for, for it, um, but not, not nearly as bad. It was like a couple of months. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, my assessment was online, which I was actually a bit worried about because I didn't know whether they would be able to assess me as well, virtually. And I was also aware that I can tend to mask more over that kind of platform, um, Mm -hmm but it was actually fine and in many ways it was really nice being able to do it in my own space and not to have to worry about like traveling and what to take with me and all that kind of thing yeah um as far as I remember I think the assessment took about five hours with the addition of breaks um
0: and was it it was all on one day wasn't it yeah. you didn't have like yes, a yes it yeah. was all
1: on one day with like a, a couple of breaks and a, and a lunch break and mm-hmm. then part of that time included them talking with my mum and asking her questions, but I was able to be present for that too, which was really nice. Mm -hmm. And then the best bit of the whole experience was that she was able to give me the diagnosis straight away at the end of the assessment, which was Mm -hmm. such a relief because I had heard of people having to wait weeks or months after their assessment to find out the outcome, which would have been such a huge anxiety trigger Whereas she literally started talking me through the findings, noticed that I was anxious and wanting to know and was like, oh, I'll tell you now. My outcome is that you're autistic. Uh, (laughs) And then like went through the rest of her notes. Um,
0: You're like, just start with that Yeah. She was like,
1: oh my gosh, I need to tell you now because you're about to explode. Um, Yeah. And then I received a report with kind of everything she'd talked me through about six weeks after my assessment. And she actually sent, me through like a draft version first to check that I was happy with everything she had included on there um mm. which again was really nice to be involved with that and then yeah I had my diagnosis
0: <laughs> nice and and so were you you were between university then or were you still I'm trying to remember you hadn't started your master's
1: yeah it was at the start it was at the start of of, of uni
0: the start of the second
1: of the second uni yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay
0: <laughs> I'm like the undergraduate no no
1: because no, no, that no. was before <laughs> yeah um yeah
0: so how how has that diagnosis helped you both you know um yourself but also within kind of um your master's course as well like has it kind of um helped in terms of like accommodations and things like <laughs> that
1: um I think in terms of, of myself, um, I mean, learning that I was autistic was really helpful. And then <laughs> receiving the official diagnosis, by that point, I was pretty sure, but it just kind of got rid of those little niggles of imposter syndrome that were like, you're making it all up. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was like, no, someone else does think it too. You're not making it up. Um, so that was helpful in that sense Um, in terms of uni accommodations so we have like a disability advisory service who I did contact and they from what I, I from what I hear it very much varies depending on who you get so there's a lot of kind of negative comments about them my person's been really helpful um and so I don't want to say oh yeah they're fantastic because I know that that's not the experience for lots of people um but yeah uh, my advisor was was helpful in kind of discussing what accommodations I might need to be honest I, I I didn't need a huge amount in in terms of lectures and stuff because I kind of manage that myself like if I need to go for a little break I'll just go for a little break it's not like school where you have to ask Um, yeah yeah and I record all my lectures and stuff but there's kind of permission to do that anyway um Mm. for me the biggest thing was placements was wanting to get um placement support well no not even necessarily support but just for it to be there if I needed it you know if I was finding a placement difficult um to have the option to be like, well, we've discussed that these are my needs and like the things that I find difficult. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, so she was really helpful in kind of advising what to say to that. I think response from, from the staff in the department has been mixed and I've not always had the most, Um, understanding response from staff in the faculty Um, which is
0: a bit worrying considering the kind of subject yeah so there's a
1: lot of um, kind of rules around like professionalism and standards of proficiency which Mm -hmm. aren't necessarily written in a way that is particularly neurodivergent friendly mm. and so rather than trying to accommodate like right how can we make sure that you're meeting those standards while also it working for you and not burning yourself out um that I haven't really had that response it's been more like no you need to be able to do that because x y and z yeah um which is to be honest, hasn't been too much of an issue because my placements have been good and my placement educators have been really helpful and supportive. And so I haven't needed to fall back on that. But I think had I needed to fall back on that, there might have been resistance and that might have been more difficult.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, some universities do it really well, but you don't want it to be kind of, you know, hitting this and the fact that you were like, you know, I don't want to say that it was great because you know of other people even at your own university who haven't had
1: that good experiences is, yeah. is kind of worrying i don't think things are well i think in one sense things are very standardized in that you kind of get a, a set list of would these things help you and some of them are you know like borderline hilarious it's like they've just looked up what is autism online and and you know not actually talk to any autistic people but then from the other sense it seems like things aren't particularly standardized in that it very much depends seems to depend on who you get and Mm -hmm. who you're communicating with Mm -hmm. you know with what the rules are and that kind of thing so yeah I don't know what the solution to that is really but um Mm -hmm. yes that has kind of been my experience Mm
0: -hmm. and I wanted to kind of ask you as well because I know that you decided to do kind of something a little bit more public in that you um, decided to tell um, people on social media about your diagnosis. Um, was that scary? <laughs> is my main question <laughs> um, because you're talking to someone who is very anonymous online. So um, I'd be I'd be keen to understand how scary it was <laughs> and the kind of reaction as well.
1: Yeah, so I think I had told a a few people over the years that I was waiting for an assessment. Um, mm-hmm. And then when I had my diagnosis, I kind of told the people who I'd spoken to quite a bit previously about it. So like you and a, and a few other friends and my family, mm-hmm. but with other people, it felt a bit weird to just kind of contact them and be like, Oh, by the way, <laughs> I'm autistic. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, with newer people, I think it actually, It was kind of easier to introduce that because they hadn't known me before, so like I made a decision really early on that I wanted to tell people my course, um, because I knew that autism would likely be coming up as a topic, and I wanted to—I didn't want that to feel Um, awkward—and also I wanted to be able to try and unmask a bit and to be able to be, I guess, a bit more open about the things that I did find difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, there were other people in my like, who are kind of like in my life, but I hadn't spoken to recently, or where it just felt a bit awkward. Um, who were like, I guess, yeah, I didn't know how to just randomly tell them. Um, but then I was also aware that I did want to be able to talk about it more openly without worrying about who I'd told and having yeah. to like remember who I had and who I hadn't told. Um, and I also knew that people sharing their diagnoses with me really helped me to feel more confident um Mm -hmm. and so yeah I think I often do a bit of a reflective post around the new year and so I just did a a Facebook post and I think an Instagram post as well um highlighting a couple of the of the big things that had happened that year like starting my course and then like I also just shared hey I I got my autism diagnosis which is pretty cool Mm -hmm. um and, yeah, I think, you know, I do have, you know, a fair amount of, of people on my social media that, you know, people from previous jobs, people from previous unions, a few people still from school and that kind of thing. But, you know, I don't have anyone on there that, that I don't know, I guess, or yeah. I don't know as well. So it's not like I'm kind of coming out to to, to the world as, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, it was to people who, who know me. But, but yeah, I, I, I was... I was nervous because I think partly because I didn't know how people would react, but also partly because I didn't know whether it was a bit of a weird thing to post (laughs) on social media, (laughs) like whether people would be like, okay, why is she posting that? Um, But no, I mean, I I got a lovely response from it. I got um, quite a few kind of comments from people um, and a couple of messages and things. And obviously, I don't know what everyone's feelings were about it. Um, for all I know, there may have been people who reacted ne- negatively and didn't decide to tell me. But um, no, from you know, from the people who did speak to me, it was it was a positive mm-hmm. response. Well, that's good, and I think, like like you say,
0: it, it's quite it is quite nice to be authentic and be yourself in real life, but also online. And the fact that you were like, do you know what? I think it will just be almost simpler to just be like i am this and you know this is me
1: kind of thing going going forward yeah i think Um, you know as part of kind of my work and the areas and i'm just i'm interested in and that kind of thing i do often you know share little articles or kind of petitions and things like that on my social media um to be honest with facebook it's pretty much all i use it for now um Mm -hmm. but um so i felt like if i needed to i wanted to be able to say you know something yeah something about being autistic in that context and not have to be like you know autistic people who I know <laughs> like yeah
0: you can actually say like my experience um, yeah yeah
1: yeah um which I don't know that I have done that but um yeah just in general I want to be able to participate in conversations about autism and neurodivergence and it not be a kind of awkward thing of am I talking about me or like <laughs> yeah yeah
0: And I kind of feel as well, like I remember you chatting with me about kind of like you said, being part of like Purple Ella's Discord and stuff like that. And I feel like you were quite an active kind of member of the autism community before, because obviously, you know, you were um, studying within kind of, you know, education and um, like looking at like different therapies and things like that. So do you think that kind of benefited you both like pre and post diagnosis already kind of being little bit involved in those communities
1: yeah I think so I've followed many autism like advocates or creators or whatever the right word for them is (laughs) for a while on things like Instagram and YouTube Um, and that was really helpful in kind of putting into words things that I perhaps couldn't quite pinpoint when I was going through that Pre-diagnosis, figuring things mm-hmm. out, um, but also just nice when people share things and you're like, "Oh, I'm not the only one who does that." Um, and then I did join a couple of Facebook groups, um, but to be honest, I didn't post on them much because they're quite always quite big groups, and it just felt kind yeah, of vulnerable. I- um, but it was interesting to see other people's posts and comments. I think I kind of participated more passively by just like reading other people what they posted. Um, But yeah, one group that was really helpful for me has been the, the discord group that I mentioned earlier run by Mm -hmm. purple Ella. Um, When I joined, it was pretty small. It has grown since. And I think when I checked the other day, there are about 75 members on there now, Um, but it's still smaller than most of the kind of Facebook networks and things like that. Um, And it is a really nice space to be able to talk about things both, Autism related, life related, and just random stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So, like the nice thing about a Discord group, because I I was not familiar with Discord before joining this particular group, um, is that there are different channels. I think they're called depending yeah. on what you're talking about. So, like in Ella's one, there's a channel for just general chat. There's more sensitive topics. There's one for sharing joyful things. Um, this one doesn't apply to me, but there's there's one about parenting. And so you can kind okay. of choose which topics you're engaging with at, at which times. Um, so it's not too overwhelming. And it's also moderated. So it feels like a very safe space. And I and think I guess
0: you know where to post as yeah. well, which is always helpful. Well,
1: most of the time. Sometimes I post like, I don't know if this is where I'm supposed to be posting this. But, you know, I'm <laughs> posting it here. Um, yeah. And, yeah, definitely pre-diagnosis when doing all that digging. It, it was great to be able to post things and be like, do other people experience this um, yeah. and to see that. And also, yeah, to ask for advice with things like getting a recommendation for, for a private assessor and things like that. Um, I think I post less of that kind of stuff on there now um, and I do um, tend to just in, in, engage in, in more of the kind of general conversation about things um, and, <laughs> But, yeah, definitely it was it was really, really helpful at the time.
0: And I guess, like, you know, it's always going to be there should you have a question or, you know, even just interacting with someone else and being like,
1: yes, I, you
0: know, struggle with that. Typically. Yeah, and actually
1: the, the thing that I have used it for more recently is when a topic has come up at uni where I've thought, oh, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that or, like, mm-hmm. I don't think I experience it like that. I'm always very aware that I, I'm only one autistic person and I don't want to just go in there and be like that's wrong because that's not what I think um so being able to share things on there and be like um you know what do people think of this is this okay or like is this accurate um and get Mm -hmm. either people saying oh actually my experience is different to yours or or people agreeing with me and then yeah Yeah. being able to kind of formulate a, a conclusion based on that has also yeah been really helpful um, mm-hmm. And I know, like you've also said,
0: like at university, there's been some um, questionable um, lectures or lecturers on um, the topic of autism. Um, so I guess, you know, getting
1: a more general feedback
0: it, it could be quite helpful. Yeah, I
1: think um, kind of potentially an important note is that actually I've been quite impressed with, this, with the speech language therapy teaching. Um, I think they are quite neurodivergent informed. But we've also taken psychology modules, and those are the ones that I found are still very set in the, the medical model and very, like, yeah, I don't know, just, yeah, oh, questionable. <laughs> yes. And yeah. then we also had a, a medical lecture by a, by a paediatrician, and that was very questionable. But mm-hmm. she was an external lecturer, so she wasn't someone who, who works at the uni. And I did feed that Mm -hmm. back and the, you know, the lecturers who I fed that back to did agree with me. So, yeah, I think the, the, yeah, in terms of the the actual department I'm part of, it's not been Mm -hmm. bad at all. But, yeah.
0: But good that you can kind of sort of advocate and be like, do you know what? That's not fitting right in terms of, you know, what your experience is and what, you know, you've heard of other people's experiences. So, it's good that you are able to kind of feedback and be like, mm, this isn't, you know.
1: Yeah. I think I try, I try not to do that too much because I don't want to just be like constantly arguing with every little thing and yeah. I make sure that it's something that I actually, yeah, like that I think is actually really important. So like with this medical lecture, for example, she was advising a room full of potential future speech and language therapists on practices that I believe would have been harmful those things like Mm -hmm. forcing eye contact um and I thought ultimately you know this could lead to these people in the future going and and, and doing that to a you know autistic child or adult who 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 can't who who, yeah who aren't in the power position to then say well actually that I don't want to do that um So then, for example, it was really important for me to say, actually, I don't think that's right. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't say that to the lecturer um, because I wasn't able to kind of put my thoughts together in time, but I sent a message through to my cohort um, at a later point and kind of expressed my feelings on the lecture. Um, (laughs) But Mm -hmm. yeah, I I try not to do that often because I think I just annoy everyone. Um,
0: (laughs) But I think it is important that you share, like, your lived experience and be like, Do you know what, actually, this this is, this is could be quite harmful just so you're aware. Yeah. Like, even just you messaging the rest of your cohort, you know, just so that they have almost the other side yeah. of the story. And
1: I think that's how I try to frame it. It's not like, I know best, this yeah. is wrong. It's just like, yeah, yeah. there is another side to this. And yeah. sometimes, again, especially with psychology teaching, it can be just very, like... These are the leading theories that were formulated twenty years ago, yeah, and not actually okay. But this is what autistic people nowadays are saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think we've had some great teaching on kind of neurodivergence and um, the social model and things like that. And so, it, yeah, it hasn't all been <laughs> hasn't all been yeah. bad. <laughs> well, that's good
0: to hear. And um, so, I know we've kind of mentioned that. Really, autism's kind of been a kind of running special interest um, (laughs) throughout your life, (laughs) before you knew you were autistic. Um, Do you have any other special interests that you would kind of say that you're into or anything that you kind of enjoy as like a hobby and things like that? I know you're quite musical Mm. and you're um, full of musical family. (laughs) so Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think so in terms of special interests, um, another big special interest of mine at the moment is um, AAC, which I said earlier, so alternative communication, um, kind of looking into the different ways that people can be supported to communicate. Um, As part of that, I'm learning Makaton, which is a um, system of of signs and symbols, but I'm mainly focused on the signs at the moment, um, which are used to help people to communicate, either express themselves and or understand what others are saying. Um, so I'm really enjoying learning that and yeah I think um, other special interests that I've kind of had that are a little bit more on the down low at the moment but I still really enjoy them and they may well come come back in strength again at some point is uh, the musical Hamilton and Lin Manuel Miranda's writing of that kind of how yeah how it's all put together um Mm -hmm. What else do I like? Um, I, really, I, I really like like learning about what paramedics do and like ambulance documentaries and stuff, which I realise is um, a really random one. Um, no, no, no. You're talking to someone who loves policing. Oh, uh, there we go. I think, think policing, in, so. a, <laughs> in a life where I wasn't where I maybe wasn't autistic and could handle long shifts and high intensity yeah. work, I would want to be a paramedic, but I don't think that would do good things at the moment for my yeah. mental well-being. <laughs> um, yeah, and then in terms of I guess hobbies, um, yeah, like you say, music, um, I love listening to music, um, especially film soundtracks and musicals. Um, and I also play clarinet saxophone um a bit of piano and i have a guitar and a ukulele but i don't play them a huge amount in fact my guitar isn't even with me at the moment it's still at my at my parents house um and i really enjoy playing in groups so i'm a member of the concert band and the choir at the uni uh, which okay. obviously aren't meeting at the moment because it's outside of term time but during term we meet and that's really good fun um, yeah I like swimming I like doing jigsaw puzzles um I like reading (laughs) yeah um yeah I think that's
0: are you um still going to your local swimming pool because I know that you've kind of started (laughs) to do that a bit yeah yeah, I love
1: swimming it is I I'm often a bit like because with the local swimming pool like you have to go at specific times and it's a bit of effort like you have to get there at the right time and then like afterwards you have to like get yourself slightly soggy back into your clothes and all that kind of thing. Like, yeah, <laughs> um, I have a love-hate relationship with going swimming, but the actual swimming part of it I really love. And actually, I think it's really good for me, like, sensory-wise. I think it gives me a lot of positive sensory input. And mm-hmm. um, also, in terms of, like, the mobility side of things, like, I'm super non-flexible I don't know if that's the word but um yeah I'm very bad at anything like that and have had some issues with kind of tight calf muscles and the m- muscles in my neck and shoulders and stuff uh, where I've had physio and I think swimming is a really good way for me to kind of stretch that all out and I always leave feeling mm-hmm. like yeah all, all, all nice and stretched <laughs> So <laughs> I'm doing actions here, but of course you can't see them. I'm
0: <laughs> <laughs> just imagine. <laughs> I'm, I'm
1: doing lots of stretching. Yeah. I'm talking mm-hmm. to you. Yeah, I really I yeah, once I get past the slightly sticky changing rims, um I I really enjoy swimming. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I feel like it's also like recommended a lot by like physios or like yes. after surgeries and stuff as a good like gentle but actually quite a hard workout all at the same time yeah i mean i'm a
1: very slow swimmer so i'm not going and doing like high speed i don't know butterfly or whatever but um you're not doing turns at the end of each no i don't know how people do them i can't how i know um but but yeah it's just i just find it really kind of just stretches me out and yeah Mm -hmm. makes me feel more relaxed i guess that's good that's always a good thing the last thing I was going to ask you
0: is obviously, you're halfway through your master's. I am. And um, what's uh, the temptation to be like, what's your five year plan? But I'm not going to ask <laughs> that question. It's a horrible question. I don't have a five um, year plan. <laughs> <laughs> does anyone? I don't know. Um, but kind of to explain to people, how does it work in terms of are you a speech and language therapist when you finish that? Do you have to go into school and do
1: almost like a newly qualified year? Yes. Like, how?
0: how does it work for y- yeah
1: <laughs> kind of yeah both of that um like <laughs> i think um from what i understand at the end of next year you know i get my kind of qualification and you you get registered with the h c p c which i can't actually remember what it stands for so that's not very helpful um and yeah and then but then you have a year where you're kind of like a little bit more supervised and you have kind of competencies that you have to um prove and do some work for and that kind of thing and oh okay yeah and so yeah it's sort of like an nqt year as a teacher
0: yeah um, so you're not just kind of like left to it you've got like a bit of no guidance that yeah. sounds good <laughs> yeah Ooh, exciting um and yeah i think that i think that was everything We've just come in at just under an hour. That was oh, amazing. Impressive. I was
1: so worried I was going to talk for like 10 hours. <laughs> Bore everyone. I think what I will do is just kind of
0: pop in some links to some of the stuff you talked about, like the kind of right to choose stuff. Yes. Um, maybe, I can't remember what else, uh, maybe the papella Discord, just any other kind of people you mentioned as well. Yes. Um, I'll pop them in. But yeah, thank you so nice.
1: much for coming on
0: the podcast. And Maybe we'll have to do like a catch-up episode with you, and be like, Alice, where is she now?
1: (laughs) As as a qualified, hopefully, um, (laughs) yeah, you'll be like, (laughs) any luck? Yeah, I have this many students, and
0: I'm doing this. Like, that would be interesting. Um, Yeah, hopefully we'll we'll catch up with you in the future. (laughs) Thank you for having me.